Grab your Bibles now, Psalms chapter 16 this evening. Psalms chapter 16. Psalms chapter number 16 tonight. Want to look at one word this evening. Truth will be simple. My goal is to be precise this evening and clear in the instructions from God's Word. Psalms chapter number 16, verse number 1. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also shall instruct me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Thy right hand there is pleasures forevermore. We find the very, very first word of Psalms chapter number 16, setting the precedent for this evening's message, preserve. Preserve. I want to uh, give you a message this evening. We'll just simply use that word as the title, preservation. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, we've enjoyed being in your house this morning. We enjoyed your presence. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Lord, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Lord, this evening, one more time, I'll ask again that you'd use the word of God that we'll preach and study this evening. May it be magnified and glorified in our hearts and in our mind. Lord, would you give us something this evening that we'll need, that will allow us to be closer to you and be more profitable for you. We'll ask all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. A couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, if you were here... I taught a Bible study out of the book of 1 Corinthians, and we titled that Bible study, The Things That Prevent Us From Fulfilling Our Purpose, and, um, fulfilling our purpose as a Christian, Fulfilling Our Purpose with a Relationship with God. And one of the things we talked about is going to be the underlying theme of this evening. Um, we said that evening that our purpose as a Christian is to be a witness to be a light, to be a testimony to the world. If you are not being a witness to the world, then you are not fulfilling your purpose as a Christian. You were created for one purpose and one purpose only, to tell others what God has done for you. If you're not telling others about how to get to heaven, if you're not telling others about the hope and the truths of the word of God that would help them, you are not fulfilling your purpose as a Christian. But we clarified that my purpose as a Christian is different than my purpose of, for my relationship with God. Although they sound similar, they are parallel, but they are still two different lines of thinking. My purpose as a Christian is to tell a lost world about the gospel, to encourage other Christians with the word of God. But what is my purpose for living the Christian life? 
we said that my purpose was this, to prepare us for a permanent and a perpetual relationship with God. When we get to heaven, we are going to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. We're going to be sitting at his feet. We're going to be serving with him and ruling and reigning. But then we're going to spend eternity in heaven with him. This life is only a temporary holding pattern until I get to heaven. But I am not to wait till I get to heaven to be ready for heaven. I am not to wait till the morning of a flight to make sure that I've bought my tickets, make sure that I'm checked in, make sure that I've got my bags packed. I need to make sure that I am well prepared for that flight. As children of God, we have been redeemed. And because of this fact, we've learned over the last couple of weeks that our body is not our own. We are to be presented to Jesus Christ blameless, and we are to be presented before God blameless. The only way for us to be presented pure before God is to make it through this life and to the next pure and holy. And the only way that we will be presented pure and holy to Christ is if we are preserved from the impurities of this world. The psalm writer said in Psalms chapter 86 and verse number 2, Preserve my soul, for I am holy. He identified the preservation of his soul through the holiness, through the purity from this world, and through the beauty of his relationship with God. When I think of this word, preserve, the first thing I think of is that natural illustration of canning. Many of you ladies will can um, or you will make preserves. What, what is the, and we are not going to get into all the nitty-gritty detail because honestly I don't know much about it. I know the definition and I know enough to get myself in trouble and act like I know what you're talking about and nod my head and look educated. But that's probably about as far as it goes. Don't ask me to do it because I probably wouldn't be very good at it. But what is that canning process? That canning process is a process that combines heat and pressure to keep food that would otherwise spoil from spoiling until it's intended to be used. God wants to preserve you until you are intended to be used. God does not intend for you to be used up by the world. God does not intend for your mind, for your body, for your heart. God does not intend for those spiritual relationships that he's given to us to be used up by this world. He intends for us to be preserved. It will take some heat. It will take some pressure, no doubt. But if we will not fight or buck the, um, the, the, the process, we will find ourselves preserved and being presented to Jesus Christ, pure, chaste, and holy. And we will find a much more enjoyable and profitable Christian life. Through the message this evening, we'll be clear and simple. I'll give you six words that we'll find in Psalms chapter number 16 that the psalmist identifies as what preserves him. Through his prayer to God, he reveals to us as Christians that which will preserve us for Christ in that day that will be presented to him. Our first word we find is in verse number one. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my, and here's the word, trust. 
that word trust. That word trust is that not a blind leap. That is a, that is a word of relationship. That is a word upon which all relationships are built. That word trust is a belief that my obedience will bring about the desired results. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. This word trust is not the same as the word understand. This word trust is not a blindly following of, uh, of, of an object or another man. This trust is a belief, a confidence proven through the word of God that my obedience will bring about the results that I desire in my life. And isn't it amazing, in our own Christian life, we find us going through processes. We find us going through things. We find ourselves doing and being influenced by things that we never thought we would enjoy. If you would have told me at the age of seven that I would enjoy okra, I would have called you crazy. <laughs> it just it would not have happened. Now, I love okra. You put in front of me a... Wonderful steak and a bowl of okra, and you won't believe it, but I want to eat both of them. But I like okra. I enjoy eating it. But I didn't like it when I was younger. But after a while, I started eating it, and I started enjoying the results. took a while for those palates to like the result, but I, I developed a taste for it. And in my Christian life, there's a trust that's got to be set in place that I'm going to be preserved in the Christian life. If I wait till I understand why, I will never do, and therefore I will never understand. Because understanding does not come before obedience. So many times in our Christian life, we want to understand God, but God says, just trust me. No wonder he says in the book of Proverbs, my son, give me thine heart. I want you to give me your heart, and I want you to trust that not only do I know what's best for you, but that I can give you what's best. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows what we want better than what we know ourselves. And sometimes when God gives us something through the process of preservation, through that trust process, we begin to wonder, God, do you really know what you're doing? But if we trust and in all our ways acknowledge him, he's going to direct our path. And when we get to the end of that path of obedience and we come to the light of understanding, we will look back and find out that our trust was not misplaced. Trusting in God's promises keeps me from seeking my own solutions and it preserves me from becoming spoiled and experiencing the emptiness of living life man's ways. Why in the world would I be so foolish to think that I know better than God? Now that is an obvious statement, but yet so many Christians live their Christian life living exactly that. Well, I think I know better than God. I will obey God the way I think God wants to be obeyed instead of just doing what he says in his word. But when I trust God, I, there, there is no debate. When I come to a conflict between what God says and what I think should be done... If there is a conflict, my trust in God says, well, it doesn't matter what you want. You trust and obey and do what God says. Why would I spoil my life by living and experiencing the world and finding out that it is empty 
before I just trust that God can preserve me through his word. When I trust his not only promises, but when I trust his provisions, it keeps me from seeking what the world claims that they can give, and it preserves me and allows me to enjoy the eternal riches that God has for me. When I think that the Christian life is boring, or when I, when I believe that the Christian life robs me from joy in life, I have believed and drank the Kool-Aid of the devil. There is no joy greater than the Christian life. You tell me how you can have joy in the world constantly looking over your shoulder, wondering if somebody has seen or, or wondering if, if, somebody's gonna, if your past is going to catch up to you. You, you can't alone put a price tag on being guiltless. Knowing that as a Christian, as a child of God, no, I'm not perfect. No, I'm not sinless. But in my obedience and in my desire to love God, even when I make a mistake, there's a loving Father there who will forgive me, who will pick me up and will set me back on my feet and put me on a rock and establish my goings. When I trust God, I'm trusting His promises, I'm trusting His provisions, and when I trust in God, it keeps me focused on doing right. Not because I see or understand how things will turn out, but because I see the one who will work things out for his own good. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work for good. That's trust. And we know. I may not know at this present moment for my life how my life will work out. But we know through the obedience, through them that love God, to him who are called according to his purpose. We find all things working out for good. That's a trust. This psalmist, the psalmist says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. I'm not trusting in horses. I'm not trusting in chariots. We read it this morning. I'll read it again and move on. But I just love Psalms chapter 121. The Lord is thy keeper. That word keeper there is that refrigeration. We do our children a disservice when we teach them contrary to the principles of God's word. And we teach them they can be influenced by the world and still be a good enough Christian. Because you cannot be preserved unless you stay in the refrigerator. You can't be preserved unless you stay in and and you, you get preserved by going through the process. The Lord is thy keeper. He is my preserver. He is the one that keeps me from spoiling. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Being a Christian does not eliminate the difficulties of life. Being a Christian does not eliminate the hardships. But being a Christian, an obedient Christian, who is in a relationship with God, who trusts that all things will work together for good, who trusts in the Lord with all his heart, and who will lean not unto his own understanding, will find himself preserved through the evil days. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth. And forevermore. The psalmist said I am preserved. Number one because of my trust. Number two we find that the psalmist says. He is preserved because of his faithfulness. 
In verse number four, does not use the word directly faithful, but we will find a example of those who do not faithfully adhere to the word of God. Their sorrows, verse number four, shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offering of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. That's a scary thought, that when I pray, there's no intercession for me. Because there's no proper relationship with God. I've broken that relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's scary to think that I don't have that connection home. That lifeline home. That scuba diver that's down below the depths of the water. That's got that lifeline of an oxygen tube. It's dangerous to think that that would be cut off. It's dangerous to think that I would not be faithful. A continuance in obedience regardless of my view of the outcome. Our view is limited. We only see from our point of view the storm clouds. We only see from our point of view. And as the Israelites said in reason of doubt of not going into Canaan, we are in their sight as grasshoppers. And I scratch my head and say, what are you doing looking through your eyes? God has already promised you the victory. He said you could go in. All you've got to do, all the, all the ground that you'll walk on is yours. You just got to claim the victory. But we're in their sight as grasshoppers. We can't do this. When I look at my frailty through my own eyes, no doubt I see my inability. But in my faithfulness, in my continuance, in my obedience, regardless of my view of my outcome, I will find that God is faithful. We complicate life when we abandon our obedience to God. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. We think of pot Buddha or praying to a statue of Mary, but anything that replaces my faith in God has become an idol. What has replaced my faithfulness to God? The Apostle Paul said to young Timothy, Timothy this way in 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed to thyself. It's not an accident. It's not chance or circumstances. It's done on purpose. It's a focus to my ways. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. There is a preservation in the Christian life that comes to you for continuing on in the doing of. Not only do you preserve yourself, but you preserve the next generation. Our lack of faith in this generation is breeding a lack of unfaithfulness in the generation to come because there is no example. Well, they just ought to read the Bible. They just ought to look to God. I believe they should. But every one of us has somebody somewhere that we've looked to that has kept us on the straight and narrow. There's been that faithful example. They need, uh, the need for faithfulness is recognized when I look at those who choose to try to get God's results their own way. Life is simple. The Christian life is beautiful because of its simplicity. And it is not a complicated thing. The only time life gets complicated is when my flesh gets in the way. The need for faithfulness uh, is, is recognized when I recognize how they turn out when those around me turn out because they didn't obey. The foolish man watches somebody get punished and says, I think I can get away for the same thing. 
You know, the kid in the classroom that gets punished for talking, and then Johnny next to him says, tries to get away with it, and they get the same result, and they're surprised. Foolishness, but yet so many Christians live their life the same way. They, they, They think they can get away with it. The need for patience is understood. When I recognize that those who seek to get God's result their own way will face the same difficulties I do, but the only difference is they don't have the help that I have. Faithfulness preserves my cause by, by causing me to recognize my obligation to obedience. The psalmist said that I trust, the psalmist said that I am that, that, that I am faithful because of my recognition of my need for obedience, my continuing on the straight and narrow. This world is always gonna doubt. There's always going to be scoffers. There's always going to be even those Christians who fall by the wayside because their roots don't go deep. They weren't grounded and when the sun comes out, they're going to be scorched and they're going to wither away. But I am not to be living the life because of those around me doing right. I am to stay focused on doing what God has told me to do because I want to continue. I want to be preserved. Be faithful. Continue. You don't have to be a a firecracker Christian. Don't be someone who goes out with a bang but fizzles out quickly. Be, Be somebody who is slow and steady, who continues in obedience along the way. First, we find a trust. Second, we find a faithfulness. And thirdly, verse number five, we find a satisfaction. In verse number 5, the Bible says that the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. Now, that doesn't sound very glamorous on the surface. And honestly, it's a little bit discouraging when you think of it physically. Because this is in direct relation to the tribe of Levi. God was, or when, 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 when Joshua was handing out all the, all the land deeds, Levites are standing around with their hands in their pockets going, All right. Where's mine? Saving the best for last. Well, you don't get any. I'm your, I'm your inheritance. Great. And that's where the devil creeps in and convinces you that you need more than God. But as we just sang a little while ago, Christ is all I need. Uh, we need to recognize that the Lord is enough. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. You go read the book of Galatians, the book of Corinthians, Ephesians, and you go find out all that God has, these exceeding great and precious promises. And you tell me that you can put a price tag on that? The world has tried. And look how successful they've been. Psalms 37 and verse number 16, a little that a righteous man hath. That does not mean that righteous men only have a little. He's making a comparison here. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. The crumbs from the table of God are better than a gourmet dinner than the devil could ever dream of trying to serve. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. 
There is a satisfaction by the Lord being your portion. This world puts their, their trust in riches, and the Bible says they have riches, but they make wings and they fly away as doves. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves do not break through nor steal, where moth and rust doth not corrupt. What's more valuable, momentary pleasure, a momentary joy on this earth, or an eternal satisfaction and a joy that comes only from a relationship with God? The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. The world may mock, the world may criticize, the world may dangle fancy things in front of me, but the world behind me and the cross before me. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Satisfaction should not take place until I receive a reward from God. What did Matthew chapter number 25 and verse number 21 say? His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, too many Christians are willing to exchange an eternal um, well done for a temporary pat on the back. They, 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 they want to exchange an eternal well done from the heavenly Father. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over few. I'll make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. They want to sacrifice a permanent joy for a temporary pleasure. They're willing to exchange momentary uh, salvation for permanent satisfaction. We find that satisfaction should not only take place until I receive the reward from God himself, but satisfaction should not take place until I have done all that would please the Father. If complete obedience is what satisfies me, I will not quit until I reach the finish line. No wonder Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the faith. I have finished my course. I didn't stop. I kept going until I completed. Jesus Christ left us the example in John chapter 8 and verse number 29. And he that sent me is with me and the Father hath not left me alone. There's my comfort for the journey. There's my goal for the end. And he says, for I do always those things that please him. I should not be satisfied until I receive the reward from God himself. Why would I exchange an eternal reward for temporary satisfaction, temporary pleasure? I should not be satisfied until I have done all to please the Father. And I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, I sure see a lot of flaws. I sure see a lot of areas to improve. I want the Lord to come back, but I don't know that if I wouldn't mind having one more night with the Father to get my life right. Have one more day to maybe learn a few extra things so I'd be a little bit more prepared for the wedding day. I don't know how many times. It was at least 16. It may not have looked any better. But let me tell you, about every three seconds, I was shining them shoes before the wedding day. I walked across the parking lot, and I was spitting, and I was wiping. I, was, I, I wanted that one more time to be perfect and well presented. I want to not be satisfied until I am presented, until I have done everything that I am supposed to do. For the Father. Why would I satisfy with anything less than complete obedience? Why would I be satisfied by what the world can offer? Or why would I be satisfied with my past accomplishment, my hand to the plow, looking forward, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto that which is ahead?
Satisfaction should not uh, take place until I receive the reward from God. Satisfaction should not take place until I have done all that would please the Father. And satisfaction should not take place until I awake in His likeness. Now think about that one for a moment. If I could justify away the other, the other two points, this one I can't. I am not to be satisfied until I awake in his likeness. In Psalms chapter number 17 and verse number 5, the psalmist writes, Hold up my goings in thy path, that my footsteps slip not. I will not be, I will not, I will not be, uh, and, that, and that is the wrong verse, praise the Lord. I will not be, there it is, I will not be satisfied until I awake in thy likeness. I should not be satisfied with who I am until I am in His image. No wonder we've got a generation of proud Christians. No wonder we've got a generation of Christians that are good enough as is. No wonder we've got enough, or no wonder we've got a bunch of proud and haughty Christians walking around this world criticizing the broken and downhearted, criticizing the fellow man who, is, who, is, who has, uh, has committed a sin and has fallen into sin, and we're not there to help them. No wonder we are because, we've, as the book of Corinthians says, we, we see ourselves in a glass and we walk away forgetting what manner of man we are. We see ourselves in the mirror, we see that ugly mug, and we walk away and because we look down and see a shiny suit, we're convinced that we look good. We're convinced that everybody looking at us is because we look good when they're staring at how ugly we really are. So many Christians, first of all, aren't taking a gaze into the mirror of God's word. They're looking into the mirror of the world, of their standard of what good is. No wonder we think we look good. But when I compare my life to a holy God, when I get close to Him, it's not a yay is me, it's a woe is me. And my satisfaction in my Christian life is, should not take place until I awake in His likeness. One of the best things about getting to heaven, the first breath of air, I hope my first thought is, I hope my first heel click is, yes, I get to see Jesus, but that first heel click for me, I'm hoping, is going to be a yay, I'm not going to disappoint God today. As I get tired of getting to the end of the day and saying, sorry, Lord, I let you down today. Sorry, I tried, but the flesh won today. I'm excited about that day I get to be presented before him and that sin nature is gone and I am in his likeness. And I get to enjoy that relationship, sweetest it will ever be. The psalmist says that in order to be preserved for Christ, we must trust. We must be faithful. There must be a satisfaction. And we find in verse number five, uh, in verse number seven through eight, that fourth word there is a focus. There is a focus. In verse number seven, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also shall instruct me in the night season. Watch this. I have set the Lord always before me. The book of Deuteronomy talks about it being frontlets between the eyes, taking the word of God and having them always before you in your brain. 
Joshua said, I will meditate there and day and night. The book of Psalms says that he that meditates there and day and night shall be like a tree that bringeth forth his fruit in his seasons. Leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There's a preservation through drought. There's a preservation through difficulty. There's a preservation even in my own fleshly failures when I focus on the word of God. That word focus is a concentration on my fulfilling of my obligations. I will read to you a familiar passage of scripture, but don't tune me out just yet. We fall short. We forget verse number three. I like verse, I like Hebrews chapter number 12. I was thinking about it this week. My grandpa and I were driving back from the airport and he and I were talking about some, some personal things in life. And I said, you know, the other day I picked up the phone and all I wanted to do was call grandma. And I I just wanted to say hi one more time. And this is the verse I thought of this week. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, she's up there cheering me on. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There's a focus on the finish line. There's a focus of not being entangled with the flesh. Looking, here's another focus, looking to our coach, our finisher, looking unto Jesus, the author finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him Jesus was focused on something on Calvary it wasn't his pain it wasn't his inconvenience it was my salvation it was the redemption of all men it was the redemption it was the repairing of that relationship between his God's fallen creation and the heavenly father looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You think that was easy? You think that was done nonchalantly? You think that was just done accidentally? Well, he was Jesus. He just did it. Yes, but he also had the same flesh that you and I had. He simply yielded it to the Father and said, Not my will, but thine be done. I'm going to focus and I'm going to finish. And I love verse number three. If these are the only words you get tonight, engrave them in your mind, engrave them in your hearts, engrave them in your Bibles, and just think about the power of these three words. For consider him. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself. Why? Lest ye be weary and faint in your mind. The same victory that Jesus Christ had over death and had over the grave is the same victory that you and I have over sin in our life today. Because it is the same faith that resurrected Jesus Christ up from that grave is the same faith that resurrected me and gave me salvation. It gave me life. It is the same faith that will preserve me. It is the same faith that will keep me focused on finishing my course. The psalmist said in verse number 8, I have set the Lord always before me. I don't know that I agree with it 100%, but I sure like watching it. I, and I don't, I, and, and I, I would be, I've never gone to one and I won't because the primary theme of the place is gambling. Uh, but I, I, I like, I like horse races. I watch the Triple Crown every year. I watch the three races and they get to the end and I just, there's something about it. What you notice is those horses got something around their eyes. They got blinders. Keeps, keep, keeps the side views out. They're focused on one thing, what's in front of them, what the guy behind them is telling them to do. 
we got the Holy Spirit inside of us telling us what to do. And He's given us the Word of God. He's given us our faith. He's given us His example. And we are to stay focused always on what He's done. We're not to be focused on everybody else around us, what they're doing, what they're not doing. I am to consider Him. I am to look to Jesus. I am to use the example of those who've gone on before who have faithfully finished their race and allow that to be my focus, my energy on obeying, on completing the Word of God regardless of what the world does, regardless of what happens. I am going to finish because I'm focused. Because those who have gone on before me, and they have finished the race, I must be able to finish the race. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. If they found a way, so can I. Because Jesus has won the victory over the battle that I'm facing, I can press on in confidence and full assurance of faith. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. And we find that because of the example that Jesus Christ has left me, when my flesh, when my flesh becomes weary, when I become overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, I don't have to fate. I don't have to, I don't have to falter in my determination. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be a casualty. We can continue on in the faith because of who we're focused on. If I'm focusing on another man, no wonder I get discouraged. If I'm focusing on the political realm, no wonder I'm discouraged. If I'm focusing on human reasoning to explain why life is happening the way it is, no wonder I'm discouraged because no man can explain the, uh, what's going on now, but faith, through faith, I can overcome and be victorious. We find, first of all, that was trust. That was that that, that, that allowed us to be preserved. We find that it's faithfulness. We find a satisfaction. We find a focus. And lastly, in verses 9 through 11, the fifth word for this evening is the word rest. We live in a restless society. We live in a distressed society. We live in a society that has no peace, they have no hope, they have no comfort, they have no joy, they're walking around frantic, every little thing, we've got more pills, we've got more medications, and we've got the least amount of healthiness than we've ever seen before, and it's all because we're trusting in man's ability to provide and we're not trusting in the gospel. Rest, a peace that comes from knowing that all things will work out as God wants. This is that sufficiency in God. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That self-containment. I am not self-contained of myself, but in Christ I am completed. He is the author and finisher of my faith. And when I am in that relationship with Jesus Christ, when I get in the yoke with him, I find rest. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's not a cry to put down the armor and stop fighting. That's not a call to sit down and to sit down and do nothing and sleep all day. Sleep and rest are different. Rest is a result of peace. And peace is a result of overcoming in a conflict. We want tranquility in life. We don't want peace. 
Peace is that overcoming of an enemy. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse number 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. This is not result is a lack of burdens. This is not a result of a lack of confidence, the co- uh, conflict. This is a result of full confidence in my obedience. There is a peace in my mind when I go to bed each and every night. Not that I completed everything that I should have. Not that I did everything perfect. Not that there's no problems in life. But I can go to bed tonight knowing that God is in control. Comfort of knowing that my obedience will bring about the desired results. In verse number 9, I love this. Boy, this is such a powerful statement. We walk around and see a bunch of mopey Christians, and I know why. Uh, because they're not resting in the hope of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells me in, in uh, Psalm 16, verse number 9, Therefore my heart is glad, there's an emotional strength, and my glory rejoiceth. We've got so many Christians that are trying to uh, create joy from an external stimuli when God says that my, my joy, it will act, my glory will rejoice because of my heart being glad and we find it as a result of my flesh also resting in hope. My rest is in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not claim no other plea. There, There is nothing else for me in this world. There is no other plea for me than the word of God, the truths of God, and my relationship with God. All the world can go to Hades in a handbasket, but my relationship with God will keep me straight and true. There's a rest that comes to the Christian who has a peace in his heart, whose hope, whose mind is stayed on God. Rest of my flesh comes by knowing that my hope will see a desired end because it is not by my ability to understand. It is not by my ability to overcome this conflict or to even get through this on my own strength. But my hope will reach its desired end because my hope is not in my own ability. It's not in the ability of those around me to encourage me. And as David said, that he strengthened himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord and his hope was in God rest to my flesh comes from recognizing that I may not I don't know when I don't know how and I don't know to what extent but I will be satisfied because I my hope will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ there's never been somebody who's put their faith who's trusted who's put their hope in Jesus Christ that has ever been disappointed we find that there's a confidence That as long as I'm obeying God and as long as I'm adhering to God's word, he will guide my path. Psalms chapter number 16 and verse number 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life and in thy presence is fullness of joy. You want to know why you're not joyful? Because you're not spending time. You're not living in God's presence. And according to the book of Psalms 119, the only way to be in the presence of God is to be clean and pure. 
to keep myself from the filthiness of the world, to keep myself from those things that would distract me or disrupt my lifeline to my relationship with my Heavenly Father. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are, what word does it use? Pleasures forevermore. The world seeks to be pleased, but their pleasures are empty, and it only results in being more hungry than when they started. More thirsty than when they started, but I've got the living water. I've got the bread of life. I've got that which satisfies, and my rest does not come in because of the results of the life around me. My rest comes from knowing that I'm living and obeying and resting ashore on the promises of God's word. Let me close with this thought this evening. The same promise to preserve God's word. Does Psalms chapter 12 and verse number 6 not say that the words of the Lord are pure words? Silver is tried as a furnace of earth, purified seven times. What's he say? Thou shalt keep them. There's that refrigeration. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forward. The same promise that God gave about his word is the same promise promise granted to me or to the Christian who remains faithful and obedient to God's word. The same preservation that he gives his words, the same preservation I can partake of in my own Christian life. Psalms 25 and verse number 20. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait on thee. The psalmist said in Psalms chapter number 16, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. He was giving us an outline for this process of preservation. He was telling us that we need to trust in the word of God. And we need to be faithful in the word of God. We need to be satisfied in the word of God. We need to be focused on the fulfillment of the word of God. And we need to be rest. And we need to have rest or a peace that comes from knowing that God will fulfill his word in my life. There is a peace of mind during the difficult times of life available to a Christian who remains faithful and obedient to the word of God. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. No wonder so many Christians fall by the wayside. No wonder so many Christians get distracted. No, many, no wonder so many Christians are spoiled by the spoiler of this world because they are fighting the process of preservation. They have abandoned the refrigeration. They have abandoned God's word. And they have said that I'll do it my own way. And they wonder why they don't have the peace of God in their life. They wonder why. They don't have the satisfaction that comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed this evening will have an altar call in just a moment. I encourage you to examine your life. Are there parts of your life that are rotting? They smell like that rotten roadkill alongside of the road. 
because I have chosen to live a portion of my life the way I want. No one individual in here has all of his life that is corrupt. And, and many of you are doing a good job. You are trying diligently. But I challenge you this evening to not compare your life by your own mind, by your own standard. But compare your mind, compare the preservation process to the word of God. And see how closely you're following it. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. If you're here this evening and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the first step to being preserved through the filthiness of this world is accepting him as your personal Savior. I challenge you this evening, if you've never done that, to come see one of us. We won't embarrass you. We will take the word of God very simply and very efficiently, show you how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. If you're here this evening and you might be discouraged, you might be a little dissatisfied, you might be tempted by the green grass on the other side, I warn you that the grass might be greener on the other side, but it's over a septic tank. Don't be tempted. Find satisfaction in the Christian life. Be preserved through your relationship with God and His Word. 